0: Today's podcast episode is sponsored by the Reconnective Healing Global Community. I don't know if you guys remember, but back in 2020, we released an episode with Dr. Eric Pearl and Jillian Fleer about Reconnective Healing. He was a chiropractor who was working in his practice in Los Angeles, and his patients started to report that they were having these healings just with his hands being near them without him actually touching them. So he went on to research and try to find out what this universal wisdom was behind what was happening. And he developed the Reconnective Healing Process. Their website is the reconnection.com and they are offering an online level one class called the Portal to awaken your own healing ability and to learn how to do this. There's over eight hours of interactive content where you will learn to interact with energy, light, and information to experience lasting knowingness, peace, and love without limitations. They gave us a coupon code to give to all of our listeners. It is PATH2PORTAL. We're going to put that in the show notes, and that's 25% off of the Portal Online Level 1 course. I hope you guys enjoy. Let me know if you take it. Send me an email. Would love to know how the course works for you. Hi, and thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 podcast. I am your host, April Hanna. At the Path 11 podcast, we are here trying to deliver leading edge research on consciousness, healing, and metaphysics. And just like you, we are trying to answer the big questions about life Who are we? Why are we here? And what is our purpose? We hope by listening to our podcast, it will make each day you live on earth a little easier to understand. And now for today's podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's podcast. I have a really interesting guest, and I have to say, when the publicist kind of pitched this person's bio to me. And it was one of the books that he had written. I was like, I don't know if it really fits on the Path 11 podcast. But we talked a little bit more. And then as I delved in to my guest's uh, website and his story, I realized this is actually a really perfect guest. And this is a guest who has lived a lot of life so there's a part of me that feels like whether we're talking about spirituality or not, I love to sit across from somebody who has lived a lot of life I feel like that they have a lot that they can teach me. So my guest today, I'd like to introduce you to John LaFave. And he's a colorful character, I guess you could say. He has worn many hats in this lifetime. He was a choir boy, a a lawyer at one point, a construction um, person that worked in labor, a house designer. He came to public attention when he landed one of the biggest dot com wheel of fortunes with NetTeller, which was an online money transfer platform for the internet gambling industry. Back in 1969, he got arrested for his first time selling some hash and some LSD. Then he got arrested again in 2007, and you know he's been to prison. And he's written two books, and he's produced a couple of music albums, and uh, he's a social activist now an environmental and social activist. He's an author of two books, like I said, a musician. His two books, All is Well and Good with Money. And I just feel like this man has a lot to talk about and a lot to teach us. So John, welcome to the Path Loving Podcast.
1: It's, it's, a, it's a great honor really to be here. I know people say things like that, but you know, our society is a little bit different than previous societies in one particular way. And that is one of the most important things that we can pay to people now is attention and i'm very grateful that to be receiving that pay that that gift from you now
0: yeah so yeah let's talk i mean i don't even know where to start with you right so it's like you've had a lot of different experiences like i said you've worn many many hats yet You know, you've you've come back around in some ways to really focus on environmental awareness and consciousness, and you know, just healing for the human species in general. But I'd love for you, if you could, to recap a little bit about like what you said before we hit record that you kind of learned a lot when you were seventeen, and you're trying to live up to that now of the lessons that you learned back then.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I know it sounds a little bit funny, but you know, I tell people sometimes April that you know the most important things. I've learned in my life, some of them are, are, I learned when I was 17, that was 1969. It was a year when, you know, young kids were running around, you know, disobedient of the American government, President Nixon, you know, Vice President Spiro Agnew went to prison. We really liked that. Vice presidents should go to prison more often. (laughs) (laughs) I grew up a good little Catholic boy and my mom uh, was a single mom. My father died when we were, when I was three my mom had three kids and she raised us alone went to school became a teacher and then ultimately got a postgraduate degree and became a high school guidance counselor and so um unfortunately she was uh, able to at st mary's girls high school where she worked she was able to warn all of the students about me in advance so i I couldn't get away with anything i was said you know very, very extremely fortunate you know i i think One of the main parts of my thesis is that we in uh, Western society are ridiculously uh, fortunate compared to like 75% of the rest of the world. And, you know, there are a lot of things that we take for granted. Of those fortunate people, you know, I just by uh, uh, dumb luck landed in like the top drawer. I was, you know, down about $100,000 after university and looking around for some, you know, looking around for a more fulfilling job than being a, a, you know, an interested lawyer which I was, and one of my clients came up with this idea of, you know, uh, somebody brought some, you know, professionalism, responsibility, reliability, security to the online money transfer side of the online gaming industry, that that would be possibly a successful business model. Well. He asked me to help it along and, you know, three years later, we put, we went public on the London stock exchange and, you know, achieved a market cap of around $2 billion. And I had 27% of that. So, you know, arguably at one point my life was worth about a half a billion dollars, which is pretty ridiculous. gave me some fame that I, I'm not really that, I don't cherish quite as much because, you know, there are other things that I would prefer to be known for than, you know, dumb luck. Mm-hmm. Well, a little bit of hard work, but mostly dumb luck, which is what we struck on, on you know, the, the, the they, they called it the, the dot-com boom, I think in those days, you know, it's like, a, it's, it's a, do I sound like a grandpa talking about the, the dot-com boom? No,
0: no, I, I understand it. I understand that. I'm not too, I'm Get not it. too young from yeah it
1: it was pretty unusual at the time because there was there were companies like you know amazon and google and stuff like that that were you know going at uh you know a thousand and ten thousand times their earnings multiples on the stock market you know because they had no they were they weren't able to prove up any revenue at all and by the time NetTeller went public on the london on the london um you know we were we were showing you know like 14 billion dollars worth of transactions in in the year that that you know we were arrested <laughs>
0: right so why were you were, why were you arrested? Was it because you guys were just making a ton of money, or because it had to do with gambling and where was money yeah, being which, traded in a way that shouldn't have been?
1: Ostensibly, it was about gambling. I think gambling is illegal in most of the United States, but the the, the reality is that forty eight of the fifty states operate gambling themselves. So for for us, it's a pernicious vice if we do it, but for governments, it's you know good tax policy. So. We never really felt that we were like offside in any moral sense, but we, right. yeah. we, we were, you know, a little bit concerned, but not concerned enough that we might be offside in other ways. And, and they, and they did come after us, you know, there were, we, we weren't doing anything different than, than you know, uh, Western Union and MasterCard and all the rest of them were doing too, they were all transferring money for the same industry. But, you know, first of all, we weren't Americans. And secondly, we weren't, you know, first date of the company that owns Western Union. You know, so they didn't ever see, or, you know, you know, or, you know, Wells Fargo or uh, Citibank, you know, all of those, it, it would be, it would have been more um, politically difficult for the American authorities to go after, you know, local companies, but when they found a Canadian one that they could, they could go after. Another thing that was going on at the time, I, well, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I'll tell you this, because mm-hmm. it's a little bit interesting. The enforcement of justice in the United States just began to be aware that there is a huge money be, to be made in forfeitures. You know, so when and when we were when 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 we were finally sentenced and convicted, we forfeited two hundred and forty million dollars, and like my company, hundred and forty million, and my partner and I, a hundred million. We soon after we were arrested, everybody in the world was doing online gaming, anyways, and you know that. But, and the uh, US the Department of Justice that got a new focus, they thought, wow, these these <laughs> forfeitures are really something, you know, and they turned their eyes to Wall Street for, you know, money laundering and for insider trading and those sorts of things. So they, they uh, their attention kind of fell off us a little bit, but curiously, the ultimate beneficiary of all crime in the United States, monet, monetary crime is the government because the government er- uh, ultimately arrests everybody before it makes them forfeit all the money. So. It's, it's, it's sort of an interesting perspective on the way justice works in America and I support it. I'm a big fan of American, you know, what in my book, I wrote a book, All's Well, Where Thou Art Earth and Why, and you know, what the, the last chapter of it, the epilogue is a restatement of the, of the, um, Declaration of Independence, but for everybody. So, and that's what, that's what I'm all about. That's what my book's all about. The American is that this, the, the Declaration of Indi- Indi- Independence is Absolutely, the the best statement of humanitarian ideals in, in of any of, of any statement I've ever read. If there's a fault with it, it's not in its construction; it's in its execution. Execution has not been, you know, it's been pretty good, but not stellar. You know, when it says all men are created equal, you know, first of all, men means people, right? But it took a long time for you know us old patriarchs to to let go of that idea. So. All means all, not just Americans, all. All people are created equal. And so and and that was sort of what inspired me through my career of thinking and writing was um trying how to try, trying to figure out how to understand how to help how to help the world understand that, you know, living in the privilege that we live in in the in the in the West, we call it, is we, we take so many things for granted that one of the things that we take for granted is that, you know. You know, sort of, I can't help it if I'm lucky, we're lucky. Well, you know, the rest of the world isn't lucky. We're lucky. Okay. Well, let's go golfing, <laughs> Here, let's go mountain biking, you know, whatever. And, and that didn't sit well with me. So most of my life I've been thinking about these things, but when I got wealthy, I had an opportunity to actually demonstrate what I thought about things a little bit. So I started giving money away to people who deserved it, sometimes to people who did. not so just the, the the idea of it for me was to, you know, the, if let, let let me go here, if i might, to be able to start the, um, th- so many of the things that we take for granted in our society, uh, we don't even notice, like in, in our, 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 in our free societies, we, you know, we take it for, for granted more or less that we should have, you know, integrity and security of the person. We should have, uh, reasonable access to food, clothing, and shelter. We should have reasonable access to the tools of self-improvement, you know, education and those things we should have reasonable access to, to help the tools and, and also reasonable access to justice and to basic finance. We don't talk about those, but we sure as hell expect them. (laughs) And last but not least, reasonable access to a healthy environment. We take all of these things for granted. And I think that the reality of it is, April, is that we should take them for granted because they are fundamental basics. You know, they are, they are, and we, we, we actually, we almost take it for granted that most people are entitled to those things. You know, even in America, they built hospitals for poor people, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, as, as, as strict as they can be about selfishness in some other ways. So when I began to, you know, cogitate about it, you know, and and, and I would say, you know, so if, and I, I I think, I think we are entitled to those things and we should be, feel entitled to them because actually I think everybody is. But then that, that leads to the question, well, what distinguishes us from everybody else in the world who... Does not enjoy the fortune that has befallen us, mostly by dumb luck of birth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it's very, very difficult to find an appropriate distinction. There really isn't one. You know, the starving lady in the deserts of Somalia with a, with an infant dying at her breast that yields nothing but dust and whimpers is exactly the same as us in one very, very, very miraculous way, and that is we have the same consciousness we are the same thing in that way. We are consciousness. We are the universe's vessels of consciousness. We have the same capacity to dream and the same capacity to be disappointed. Hmm. Imagine how disappointed we would be if we were that lady. Well, I I tried to put myself, you know, in their shoes and, and it came, became quite obvious to me that Yes, we are entitled to all of those things that we take for granted in our Western society, but those things come at a price and the price that they come at, they are actually the elements of freedom. You know, those seven things I said to you, you know, that security and respect for the person, access to food, clothing, and shelter, you know, education, healthcare, finance, justice, and a healthy environment. They are the, the basic elements of freedom. Freedom comes at a cost ever since we were kids or, you know, we were told that, you know, freedom comes at a cost and we used to think it was, you know, that you have to give up your life, you know, men had to give up their life (laughs) to, 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 to fight for freedom. And, you know, that sort of made sense to me, but in a way it doesn't because only one in a hundred thousand or 300,000, I don't even know what the arithmetic is, ever pay that price and everybody else gets it for free. I don't know. Right. I don't think that's, I don't think that's it. I think the cost of freedom is actually quite a bit higher than that. It is that plus every moment that we enjoy freedom, I think we have an obligation to strive in any way we can to make sure that everybody else, every other human being is on a path to enjoying that too, enjoying exactly those same basics that we take for granted. That has some very, very difficult implications and some very fascinating ones too, but That's the basis of my thesis that, you know, you know, how, how do we achieve that? How do we, how do we get there? It's, you know, it's obvious, very, very obvious challenges, particularly, particularly when we face, you know, corporate disinterest in well, in other people's well-beings and, and, you know, sovereignty is another very difficult sovereignty between nations. It's none of our business, what they do in Rhodesia. I don't know, you know, if they start, you know, if, if they're cutting off people's clitoris in Nigeria, you know. That is that none of our business? <laughs> you know, it's hard, it's hard for me to imagine that's none of our business. But, the, the, you know, there's some very difficult things about implementing what I'm, you know, putting forth as sort of my social objectives. But it's kind of like being a parent, you know, when we're parents, we know we have an obligation to help develop our kids in every way we can. And A lot of the time, we don't know how we're going to do that. We don't know what steps we're going to take to do that, but that not knowing the steps we're going to take does not absolve us of the responsibility. We have to figure out the steps. Right. (laughs) And that's, so, so that, that's the big, I'm going to be quiet now and (laughs) let you back onto your show.
0: (laughs) No, yeah. So I guess my con, my, my, one of my questions is right. What we are all consciousness, right? So mine is, you know yours, yours is that the homeless woman, it's the woman whose clitoris is getting cut off in, in Nigeria. But how, how do you move in the world with feeling such an overwhelming responsibility? Like some people will say like, what could I really do for those people in Nigeria? And does consciousness, do we have to bring it back to just how can we be better within our own consciousness and hope that that then has a ripple effect? Because can everyone really create some change? Whether it is, may, maybe some people don't have the dumb luck or the finances to really be able to be able to put forth money, but maybe they can just be really good conscious beings in their small little town and still have a grand effect on the overall consciousness. Collective. That's
1: absolutely right. I would I would add one little one little shift to it, but you know it's we we must strive in accordance with our 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 tools right? Whatever the tools that are available to us. Right. right? But the very first point of it, the first, the very first step of it is to encourage others to understand that we have this responsibility. You know, we have it if even, you know, we might even approach this, not even on the basis of responsibility, but on the basis of love. You know, we actually care for that woman in Somalia when we take long enough to think about it. Right. And that, sh- and that that ought to be motivation enough, you know, but if it's not, then it becomes responsibility. And we, sh- but, you know, I hate to see mercenary about this, but my book <laughs> is about all of these principles and that's the first step is understanding the principles. So if somebody has, as if there's nothing else that they could do in their life, they can, you know, tell people about my book. <laughs> <laughs> right but it's a consciousness thing i mean as soon as we become uh, as soon as we become conscious of our relationship with all others all other human beings on the planet it's hard for us to not bring it up in discussions with others encourage people to look at the world that way to be more positive about it to be more to have a more long take take the long view more 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 frequently than we do in our society you know we tend to take you know what our our, our, our our main view is next year's annual report or the five-year plan right right david suzuki's the guy i work with he was sitting up on a mountain with some first nations guys up here in haida which is uh one of the ancient first nations in western canada on the coast and you uh, talked this first nations fellow was talking to david you know their the forestry up in the area and the, and the guy from the forestry company was saying to him i want to tell you about our five-year plan and the guy says. I don't care about your five-year plan. Mm-hmm. I won't hear about your 500-year plan. Mm-hmm. We've been here for 14,000 years. Mm-hmm. Your four, your five-year plan is of little interest, you know, so is it. So taking the long view of who we are and, and what, what we could be, we've developed, you know, in constitutional democracy, the strongest tool ever invented by human species to control the selfish wealthy. Now we just have to learn how to use it properly right Right. yeah
0: Yeah, so what i hear you saying too is like really looking at the bigger picture and this responsibility that we have for other humans is really kind of what i'm taking away from this is how can we step outside of ourselves you know and not just think about ourselves our world but really extending that out further and further and further and like you said not the five-year plan The 500 year plan really makes you think, well, what's the footprint, you know, when I die, what's the legacy? What, how many people have I really helped or how many people am I going to harm if I don't wake up or, you know, begin to think about others?
1: Or even just encouraged. How many Mm -hmm. people have I encouraged? Right. You know, we discourage young people when we say to them things like government never does anything right. They only put their hands in their pockets and rob our money. Those are terrible, terrible things to tell our young people. And when we do tell them things like that, what we're actually doing is we're, we're sending the message of the selfish wealthy. The selfish wealthy want us to not care about government. They want to tell us how government doesn't work. Stay home. You might as well go mountain biking. Why? Because they fear the powers to tax and to regulate. And the reason, the, the, the way the, the, the you know, the the, the marker that, that demonstrates how much they fear um, the powers to tax and regulate is how much money and energy they spend trying to avoid us grabbing a hold of those levers of power, right? Yeah. And so, but, you know, I, I have no problem with wealthy. I think wealthy is a wonderful thing. If we're going to do all the things I think we need to do on the planet, wealth is going to be one of the things we need a lot of. And, you know, to me, capitalism is one of the very best ways to accumulate wealth. The only thing that's wrong with capitalism, in my mind, is our failure to tax it properly and to regulate it properly. And we have those powers. All we have to do is enthusiastically grasp the levers of power in constitutional democracy and use those powers to make sure that the selfish wealthy pay their fair share and follow the rules. Yet don't dump Mercury into Love Canal.
0: Mm-hmm. So,
1: so anyway, that's the the consciousness yeah. part of it. Is if we can, if you, if we get people thinking about these things the right way, that's a huge step, and that's enough. That's paying the price of freedom is just to get people to think about their reality more carefully.
0: Now, what I'm going to say to you might sound naive, but I'm curious to know what your thoughts are on it because sometimes when I go out to the bigger picture, and again, like I said, maybe this is a naive way to look at it. Like, isn't money in the big grand scheme of things also an illusion? You know, I mean, if we're really thinking about consciousness and our experience here on earth and i understand from a lot of guests like you know this is a this is a great school we come to earth we incarnate on earth in order to be able to evolve our consciousness sometimes i feel like we can get so wrapped up in money and the ego getting attached to that that we lose sight of what it means to actually be a human being and to be here and you know, sometimes I feel like the involvement of politics and this and that, like sometimes even gets us further away from love or getting intertangled or um, in bondage with money. Because, I mean, does it really matter in the long run? Like, isn't all of this a little bit of an illusion of what we're living?
1: It's not naive, but it's a mistake that lots of people make. Okay, And, and, it's bec- and, and here, here, here's the essence of it. What you say about money isn't a comment about money. It's a comment about how we view it. And it's a poor carpenter that blames their tools, right? It's not money that makes us selfish. We can, money, money is the only, is one of the major things that we can be generous with. How can you be generous if you don't have any money? Right? Mm -hmm. Um, Of course, generous of spirit is super important too. I mean, I, I, I don't mean to diss that, but you know, so I think we have to kind of Maybe reconsider how we, how we value money. You know, if we, if we're mixing it up with our self-esteem, the more money I have, the more important I feel to myself, that's a monk's game. You know, that's not going to take you anywhere. You're going to be lying on your deathbed and said, you're going to be saying, I should have listened to Lefebvre. I should have been more generous. Right? Because, and the reason, the, the reason we say that on our deathbed is because we know then that the most precious thing that we can have when we're lying on our deathbed is gratitude. The most precious thing we can have is a whole bunch of people who were thinking, God, this world just would have been a different place without April. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Yeah, And that's, and that's valid and that, and and there's value in that, that runs much deeper than money. So it's not money's fault. It's how we view money. I think, you know, if we're, if, if we're thinking that, you know, money is going to make us happy, I'm going to say. That's true, but only if we use it the right way. And the only way money can make us happy is if we're generous with it. You know, and then, you know, 10 years later, somebody walks up to you and says, you saved my life. What? Well, you know, I just about lost our house and you gave us $2,000 for two months rent. And then I kind of turned everything around and now my whole life is good and I blame it all on you. So, you know, I coughed up 500 bucks and somebody thinks I saved their life, they're going to spend their whole rest of their life being so grateful that they've ran into just that one person. And it's astonishing to me all all, all day long how, you know, just, you know, you, you go into a restaurant and some young person there is trying their best to, you know, save up enough money to go to school again next year and all this stuff. And they, you know, you, you think, well, should I tip them 10 or 15%? Oh, I'll go 15%, you know, this is a good kid. I give them a hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. They go, "I'm sorry, you've made a mistake here." They chase me out of restaurants. <laughs> right? I'm certainly that you made a mistake here. No, no, the customer's always right. I think money can make you happy, but only if we use it in the most, you know, in 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 in, in a generous way, as well as all the other ways we use it.
0: Yeah. Well, I know that there um, is another way that you've used money in a very generous way, and you helped to fund the Dalai Lama Center for Peace and Education in Vancouver. Did you want to talk a little bit about that?
1: Well, my, yeah, I've, I've been, that's one of the blessings of my life is I've uh, spent a little bit of time with His Holiness. He invited me for a, a, a you know, what do they call it? You know, when you just go visit the guy alone. Mm Mm-hmm. There's a word for it. I my, don't get old. It escapes me an audience. <laughs> and he said, you know, you can bring anybody you want, one person. And so I brought my mom. And he, my mom was, you know, about 80 at the time or something like that. And then it was, you know, it was a lovely time. He, I had a little soul patch set. He says, oh, I got something new in there. Right? <laughs> he's a very lovely guy, but he, my friend, Victor Chan ran in with the uh, Dalai Lama and night in the seventies, uh, Victor was, you know, hijacked by some rebels in Afghanistan. And somehow it came, it came, it came to uh, His Holiness's attention because he had been sojourning through or near Afghanistan at the time. And somehow or other, you know, Dalai Lama got Victor and the, and the lady that he was running around with at the time out of trouble in Afghanistan. He's, he's, And then Victor devoted his life to helping His Holiness become, he's co-written a couple of books with him and that sort of thing, right? So, and he's a Victor lives in Vancouver and I got to know him. And, you know, Dalai Lama doesn't lend his name to much, you know, Mm -hmm. but he permitted us in Vancouver to set up the Dalai Lama Center for Peace and Education. The main thrust of it is education of the heart. And his his theory is, and I think it's a very strong one, and, and that is if we teach, young people our children how uh, to unfold the love that lies within them they become better prepared in every way for everything that comes you know you're you're we're better learners we're better listeners we're better you know authority better governance you know all the all of the different things that we do are improved by having um you know this more expansive view of what we care about you said before something about stepping outside ourselves i'm i'm gonna say that I understand what you mean by that. And I don't want to be nitpicky about it, April, but I just want to help us understand what we say. I don't think we need to step outside of ourselves. We just need to step beyond, right? Our, 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 our self, isn't something that we need to step out of. We just have to kind of like grow it out into, 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 into <laughs> Expand it, right? Expand yes. ourselves. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah.
0: And so, you know, one of the things that you have done with your money, like you said, is share it and and give it away and try to make it useful and use it as a way to help others. And I've also heard that, you know, kind of the laws of the universe says, like, the more that you give, the more that you get back. Have you found that to be true as well?
1: Well, I sleep a lot better now than I used to. And I, you know, it's uh, and it's it's not because I lost four hundred million dollars. Mm mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, that, that it's I've done all I've done not all I can, but I've done a lot to, to help others and it, it just makes every day so much more rewarding. The mm-hmm. rewards of the rewards of generosity, the dividends of generosity are gratitude and you know, there's uh it it's a dividend that no amount of money could match in a way. It's a type it's a type of dividend that no no amount of money or power could ever achieve right it's a different kind of it's a different kind of wealth you know it's a wealth of the wealth of spirit the wealth of, of being deeply in touch with ourselves and 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 all others as well and it's you know it makes the world
0: so i'm wondering what your thoughts are more in an esoteric terms like if i think about okay so the two times you got arrested right the one time LSD, hash, the other time, this, this money-making gambling thing. But the energies of those things that you were providing for people has an element of addiction, right? And maybe keeping them very either earthbound or getting people involved in gambling that sometimes can be disastrous for families for relationships for people themselves you know of losing money and do you think like in that esoteric term that the universe in a way is was trying to bring you back around to remind you of maybe you do have something I don't want to say necessarily special but that there is something with this dumb luck that you have that maybe the universe in a way is like let's put it more towards this because you really have kind of maybe turn the way in which you give out into the world and how you give it and who you give it to. But some of your money was attached to things that could breed more addiction, chaos, entropy, you know, within the world. Whereas now it feels like you're doing your job to kind of lower the disorder and bring more peace. So,
1: yeah, I think. That is true. And I'm, and, I, and I'm allergic to that and have been people have brought that up, you know, for, since, you know, the very early days of Seller. And I think, you know, but it, it kind of beckons to the lawyer in me a little bit, but one of the things I want to say to respond to that is that, um, I'm not sure if we ought to turn our backs on things that some people have a weakness for, you know, I don't, you know. I don't think it's a good idea to, I don't think it's a good idea, for instance, to ban alcohol, mm-hmm. right? Because a lot, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to say, I don't know what the number is. 85% of people who use alcohol use it responsibly. And the, you know, the way, the, the way help the 15% who cannot is not to make the 85% go without, I don't think. And I think the same thing goes with gambling gambling is something that people are going to do whether or not we support them at it. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's as old as, you know, it might be the oldest profession, actually.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. It might be the oldest profession, but I think once again, it's not, It, it it's not, gambling can be a, a, abused or, or, or it can, you know, be the downfall of a person, but it's not gambling's fault. Again, mm-hmm. what, what we should be doing is making sure that the gambling industry pays its full fair share to look after people who need help.
0: Mm -hmm. So basically you're kind of turning it over to the individual responsibility of the person. Like what you're saying is like, we shouldn't necessarily take alcohol away or the casinos away, but really it has to come to that person's evolution of their own individual consciousness to make choices, to work out their own karma. To... I don't,
1: I don't think that is what I mean. No. But okay. I, 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 I think it's the, 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 it, the individual is the one who makes trouble of them, right? But we have to be realistic too and understand that, you know, when we burn gasoline or when we go gambling or when we drink or when we take heroin, right? Mm-hmm. We are doing something that some people fall prey to. So if we're going to permit it, we also have to be grown up about it and help the people who fall on by the wayside from Mm -hmm. those things that we take to be, well, let's say it out loud, our freedoms. You know, Americans think that they should be free to gamble. I don't blame them. I think they should be. Yes, it causes problems. You know, Americans Americans think they should be free to snore cocaine. They sure take enough of it. You know, they may, you know, those guys in Colombia didn't get rich on Colombian money, right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? But so, but what we have to do is when you understand that when, when we legalize those drugs and we will eventually, because you know, everybody knows now that the criminal process isn't the way to govern them, mm-hmm. right. But what, what we're going to realize is we're, we, we will let, we will permit people to use those things freely as long as they use them responsibly. But we have to understand too, that it causes problems and we have to contribute to the solution of those problems for those people. You know, once again, it's like the same thing, you know, I can't help but if I'm lucky, uh, a reason to not spread freedom to everybody else. You know, I'm lucky they're not, let's go dancing. No. And it's not a good enough reason to say, well, I get to take cocaine because I'm responsible about it, but somebody else can't, you know. And incidentally, I don't do cocaine, but, you know, or at least not since, you know, 40 years ago, one one party maybe, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. and I I certainly would not promote it. But I also think that, you know, making it illegal is, it it, it only does one thing. It makes people rich, Mm -hmm. it makes criminals rich, you know, but people are still going to do what they're going to do. When you live in that land of the free and the home of the brave, right, Mm -hmm. Yet you have to expect the your kids to grow up being both free and brave, and they're going to do whatever they want. So anyway, so these things, you know, these vices, we call them vices, you know, some people think, you know, sex is a vice, Mm -hmm. well, should we ban sex? I don't think so. That's not the, that's not the right solution. The solution is to understand that there are things in our society that people fall prey to. And it speaks more in my mind to our responsibility to help people who have fallen than, you know, it's once again, it's like blaming, it's a carpenter blaming the tools. It's the heroine's fault. Well, no, it's not. Everybody knows that an addict deep down inside them has a hole that they're trying to fill that can never be filled by the drugs, but it feels like it fills it for a little while. Let's right. put that, let's right. so they put there, what we need to be doing for drug addicts, right, is to make up for that hole that was built in them by their parents or by society or whatever it is who who've make them feel rejected and useless. And, and and that's our responsibility. So if we do that, then if we do do that and be responsible and growing up about it, then, you know, I think it's okay if at New Year's Eve, sometimes, sometimes people have a little bit of fun.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I mean, what you're saying is kind of going to the healing the root cause. You don't want to put all addicts on an island where there's no drugs and no alcohol and say, okay, now you're safe here. It's like, yeah. how do you also teach people That's to integrate childish. within the world? Right. You know? Yeah. And heal them and allow them to be amongst these things, but maybe they feel freer in their own choice to engage or not engaged, you know, mm-hmm. with that void or that, that trauma being healed within them. Yeah. Makes sense.
1: So I don't know if that satisfies your problem with me raising money, Uh, gambling. If I had it to do over again, I would do exactly the same thing and make way more money still. uh, But I, you know, uh, but I would have avoided getting arrested so I could keep that $300 million (laughs) and and use it, you know, for what I think good is. The the day I was arrested, you know, in 2006, I think it was, yes, or maybe at the beginning of 2007, America was fighting a war in Iraq. And I read that it, you know, that they were spending two and a half billion dollars a week, mm. fighting a war in Iraq. Right. And I calculated the $240 million that we forfeited, wouldn't get them till coffee time, Monday morning in that week, right? So I said, it's a massive amount of money that America spends on, on war. And then, you know, deciding that, you know, that, you know, that, you know, I mean, 75% of Americans probably gamble, you know, one way or another. If it's not bingo, it's buying the lottery tickets, you know, down at the, you know, the Seven <laughs> Eleven.
0: Right, and scratch-offs, yep, yep. Yeah, right. All, all right. Well, interesting. I think you ex- expanded, you know, my knowledge on some things, gave me a couple of things to chew on, to think about, you know, in a different way and kind of going back to those seven principles. So I want to give you the opportunity to just let people know where they can find you, your books, if you'd like to mention both of your books and also your music. I listened to your music on Spotify. I have to ask, do you have, I felt a little um, inspiration of Neil Young a little bit in there.
1: I'm a a classic rock guy. I do. I am. uh, There's a, one one of the ways I described it is, you know, if people say, what kind of music do you do? And I go, well, you know, what kind of music is the Beatles' White Album? (laughs) (laughs) It's all over the map, right? I mean, they, they, it goes, it goes everywhere, but it's all, you know, I tell people sometimes. You know, whatever whatever kind of music you like, you'll find somebody here, something here you don't like. Right.
0: Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But my where my music. Go ahead. My, where my, can people find you?
1: My, my 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 music's on the streaming services, as you said. So if you know you spell my name right on your podcast, I'm sure you will. You can find it there. Uh, also, JohnLefave.com. My website has all the music you can listen to it there, and also have a look at my two books there. What the one book, All's Well Where Thou Art, Earth and Why, is my sort of treatise, my thesis about who who we are as a species, how far we've come and how far we have not come, how far we've got to go. And primarily what it's about is, you know, the, the principles that we might adopt if we want to actually uh, improve the advance of civilization. I know that sounds preposterous, but that is <laughs> what that book is about. And it's also quite a bit gonzo as well. So don't worry, it's not all, you know, it's not all boring. The other book is called Good With Money. It's uh uh, a Rich Guy's Guide to Gaining Everything by Losing It All. It's a little bit more of a uh, sort of a biographical. It's about my story, Rags to Riches and Back Halfway to Rags Again. And so it's more, for people who are more interested in that kind of perspective on it, it's it's sort of the same thing, but how I how I lived it rather than how I talk about it. So there it is. We've got a johnlefave.com for my books and my music. And on Facebook, I've written, I have been—I have a page. They call it a page. And the page is called Thoughtful Species. And Thoughtful Species has about um, 20,000 followers now. And it's just things that I pick up from um, myself and my companions that are smart to read today. And, you know, and, and occasionally I throw in some of my own. So Thoughtful Species on, on Facebook and johnlefave.com. Those are the two I'd be grateful if you'd promote for me.
0: Absolutely will do. I didn't have the Facebook link, but I will definitely take that and I'll put it in the show notes. I'll put all of those links in the show notes. So it'll be very easy for our listeners to just click and find you and join the group and listen to some music.
1: Thanks, April. All right. Very, very. I'm very, very grateful for you having me here today. and, And I want to say to all of your listeners, there is a miracle inside you. It's the part of us that dreams at night does not go to sleep when we wake up. The part of us that dreams at night, if we're good to it, if we were, if we love it ourselves, what we do is take half an hour each day and push away all of those incessant thoughts that fill our minds. They're all good. They're all responsibilities. Just not now. They're like, you know, clients without an appointment. They're kind of like guests who didn't call first when they knock on your door. So you know, they can wait half an hour, just sit quietly and let that part of us that dreams at night be awake in the daytime too. When we do that, magical things happen every moment. Look inside. There are our diamonds. I
0: love it. Beautiful way to end. Thank you, John, so much for being here. And thank you all for listening. And I promise to bring you another amazing guest next week. Take care, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's show. If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate and review the PAP11 podcast in Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, this podcast is made possible by our sponsor, PAP11 TV. Visit PAP11TV.com to start a seven-day free trial and start streaming over a 100 hours of exclusive video content on consciousness, healing, and life after death. That's path11tv.com, and be sure to use coupon code PODCAST30 to take 30% off your annual membership. Start satisfying your spiritual curiosity with a membership to Path 11 TV today. Bye for now.